few minutes ago, Titus said he gets a bit confused when he messes up a song. I was thinking I get a bit confused every time I stand up. It will get worse, huh? It will get worse. We're very happy to have our campers home. We missed you last week very much. We're glad everybody was healthy, had a wonderful, wonderful time. Especially our first time campers, we're very happy that you enjoyed yourself because you got so many years of being able to go back and enjoy it again and again. Uh, I think the camp is a very good thing. It's handled uh, properly. Uh, Edward does a, a marvelous job in making sure our children are safe and that they learn, if they're willing, they'll learn something about the Lord throughout the week. Uh, we should commend them greatly. Uh, there was something else I was going to say, but I forgot what it was. I guess if I forgot it, it probably wasn't too important, was it? In a, in a few months, uh, we're going to have to choose some deacons. The workload's getting a little bit too big for the deacons we have, and we're going to be choosing some more. So I want to talk a little bit about deacons uh, today in order to uh, remind you of the qualifications of a deacon as well as the process of appointing deacons so that you can think about it for a month or two months, watch uh, the various men of the congregation, what they do, their involvement in the church, uh, their leadership skills. Well, we'll go through the qualifications because uh, when the time comes, we've got our work list determined. Uh, we'll ask you to choose a certain number of men that we can appoint uh, to be deacons of this congregation. The very, very important job, very important uh, responsibilities uh, these men engage in, uh, as well as many other people we have. There's so many people that are doing so many good works. Every time I say something about somebody, I'm always, I know I'm gonna offend others who are working very hard. Uh, and I can't go through everybody, because to tell you the truth, I can't remember everybody at one time but uh, I know there's a lot of good works. One that sticks out in my mind all the time is Jeff. He's, uh, he's constantly uh, serving the Lord in many different ways, and we love him very much for that. First uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 13, what we have is the qualifications first of the elders, then secondly, the qualifications of the deacons. I just want to read through the qualifications of the elders and then go straight into the qualifications of deacons. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, we know as elder, bishop's just another term, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and capable of teaching, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but a gentle man, not a quarrelsome man, not a covetous man. He must be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. And then parenthetically, Paul says, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? You see how the children come into the qualifications of a deacon. 
You'll see it also uh, in the qualification of the elder. You'll see it also in the qualifications of a deacon. He's not to be a novice. Uh, this is someone who's basically new to the congregation. Uh, before you could appoint an elder, you've got to know the person. So that takes time. It always troubles me when a man leaves one church and goes to another, and immediately he becomes an elder or a deacon. I don't, I don't know how you can do that. Uh, I remember a man wanted to come here one time. He said, but we'd have to make him a deacon. I said, well, that can't happen. And uh, he said, why? I said, we don't know you yet. You know, we got to get to know you first. And he decided he didn't want to be with us, so he went somewhere else. With the elder, he's not to be a novice, but a seasoned person, a person who knows the church, who's familiar with the church. Lest being puffed up with pride, he follow into the same condemnation as the devil. It appears that the downfall of the devil was pride. He felt like he was equal to God, and he fell from his position. If you appoint a novice, a man that's green yet as a Christian, uh, it's very possible that he too might be puffed up, thinking more highly of himself than he ought to, and that may be the beginning of his downfall. So don't appoint such a person. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those outside the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now with deacons, likewise, in a similar vein, the deacons must be reverent. They must be men who revere God, revere the Bible, revere the importance of the local church. He realizes how valuable the Church of Christ actually is and willing to devote himself to her care and exaltation. He's not to be double-tongued. Say one thing to Titus, say the opposite thing to Ronald. He's got to be a straight shooter, somebody who you can count on. When he speaks, you know it's the truth. Not given to much wine. This could take an entire sermon to talk about, so I don't want to say too much about it. Let me say this. It is our custom in our culture that those who drink alcohol beverage uh, will be a stumbling block to many, many, many Christians. We could talk about wine and its use in another setting, but not in this one. He cannot be greedy for money. Uh, if he's greedy for money, he's got a work to perform for the church. If he's greedy for money, <clears throat> he may be given to working all the time. And if he gives himself to working all the time so he can make more money, how's he going to tend to the church of Christ? It's not going to be possible. Therefore, <clears throat> this person should not be a greedy person. I'm not saying he never works overtime. But he's not one who just seeks money and abandons his work. By the same token, you could say one who is not pleasure-minded, someone who's always going fishing or hunting and doesn't have time for the church. The work of a deacon is very, very important. It has to do with our appearance as a congregation. It has to do with our function as a congregation. And it has to do with the well-being of our membership, those who depend on the work that deacons do. He must also hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. He must be faithful 
living according to the precepts of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's supposed to, to the best of his ability, walk as the Christ walked, not someone who is indifferent towards New Testament Christianity, but someone who is mindful of his responsibility as an example before other people. He's, he's to be a man of great faith. Let these also first be tested. In order for this is why we couldn't accept a man as a deacon. He first must be tested. We've got to watch. We've got to see who this person is, what he's qualified to do. We test in regards to the qualifications. That's why we want you to think about this for a while, not pushing it, but giving you time to watch your brethren, to see how they handle themselves in the church, see how they handle themselves when we're not just in the assemblies, and from there make a decision as to who you would choose to be a deacon. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. This doesn't mean sinless, because we all sin sometimes. But it means a person who's not a sinner. There's a difference between a person who sins and a sinner. A sinner lives a life of habitual sin. I used to be a sinner. That's the way I live my life. Today, I'm not a sinner but I do sin from time to time because of uh, weakness, uh, sometimes stupidity, sometimes uh, ignorance, maybe laziness. A lot of reasons a person might unwillingly commit sin. It happens to all. So he's not talking about an absolutely perfect person, but he is talking about someone who is considered upright by the people. Likewise, their wives. Uh, I talked last week about this verse where some have taken it to mean that this is talking about women being deaconesses. You can tell from the context. Paul is talking about the qualifications of a deacon. And likewise, in a similar vein, their wives. What this is is another qualification for the deacon. His wife must fit the description given to us in order for him to be qualified to be deacon. A man might be qualified to be a deacon, and his wife might disqualify him. I know a church where this happened probably 10 or 12 years ago. A man's wife, she couldn't, well, she could, but she wouldn't shut up. She just kept running at the mouth all the time. And because she caused so much trouble in the church, they had to dismiss him as a deacon and, at the time, also a preacher. And they had to let him go. Big teardown over it. It was shameful, but it was something that had to be done. I was familiar with the situation. Uh, I preached a sermon over there before that happened. I was asked to, and I did. But the wife is a qualification of the deacon, just as the wife is a qualification for a man to be an elder. If they are not what they're supposed to be, that automatically disqualifies them. If his wife is a tailbearer, for example, or a gossiper, 
it's going to it's going to bring reproach on the deacon or the elder. People won't respect him. He can't influence his wife to behave rightly. How can he be qualified to be an elder or a deacon? Much trouble comes out of that, and so we want to pay attention to wives also. Uh, the likewise, the wives they too must be reverent. They must be reverent to to the Lord, to New Testament Christianity, and to the role of a woman, not only in the church, but in the world as well. They can't be slanderers. We know that probably one of our, our greatest sin makers is our mouth. I think we're all aware of it. James talks about the dangers of the tongue. It's something that we don't seem to be able to control. And sometimes, whether male or female, it doesn't matter, uh, people have a tendency to slander other people, and that's terrible. It's terrible to slander someone. If I have a fault, come and tell me what my fault is, but don't tell everybody else how sorry I am or what a goober I am. You, you, you should do it properly. If you really cared, you would tell me so I could correct it if indeed it needed correcting. But to gossip about people, to put them down behind their back, that's a horrific sin, a horrific sin. One we don't want to be guilty of. When we speak, we're supposed to speak words of encouragement. We're not supposed to try to murder our brothers or sisters. And it's happened at times. She must not, not be a slanderer. She must be temperate, having her composure, able to control herself, being a, a, a woman of uh, great faith, great temperament. She has self-control. And she is to be faithful in all things. As uh, a woman, a wife, a mother, and as a member of the Church of Christ, faithful in all things. Now, he goes back to the deacons again. Well, he was talking about a deacon, but he talked about the wife because that was one qualification for the deacon. Now he goes back to other qualifications for the deacon. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, <clears throat> and they must rule their children and their own houses well. Uh, if a man has unruly children, if he's unable to bring his children into submission, how can he serve the church of Christ? How can he help the church as a whole or members individually to excel? If you fail in that qualification, a man will fail in many ways. He's got to be a, a good father, a good provider, a good teacher, a good disciplinarian. He has to be able to control his children. Then he says, for those who have served well as deacons, they shall obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. It's something for a man to aspire to. I used to aspire to being a deacon. That was the first thing I aspired to do. Ultimately, I wanted to be an elder. 
But back then, I thought being a deacon would be a good training ground so I could become an elder. Well, I think I misunderstood actually what the work of the deacon was, but uh, I never did make it to being a deacon anyway. Uh, I got started preaching uh, for some reason I'm still not aware of, but uh, I kind of got pushed into it, and uh, here I've been doing all ever since. Uh, it's something great to aspire to, and of course the eldership also is great to aspire to. The reward is, uh, oh, the reward is just amazing. When I left home, I was 15 years old, and I moved to Tennessee, and uh, I lived with my aunt and uncle, and uh, I met Mary Bell Dar at that time, and just 15 year old. Boy, she's beautiful. Woo. She was so pretty. But the thing that got me the most was that she was nice. She was very nice. And she would talk to you. You know, a lot of times beautiful people don't talk to ugly people like me. But uh, she did, just like I wasn't even ugly or anything wrong with me. But she treated me very well. I wasn't accustomed to that in Detroit. And I admired her so much. Since I was 15, I've admired that woman till today. She's a good woman. She's got a good heart. She's lived her life trying to serve the Lord. And now, she's very ill. And though I feel very bad for her being ill, I feel very hopeful that if something should go badly, she will be with our Lord. The reward of that is unexplainable. It just thrills my soul to know that I may have had a little part in helping someone go to heaven for all eternity. All eternity. Man, we're talking about forever and ever and ever. What could possibly be greater than that? The reward is just out of this world. Now, how are deacons appointed? In Acts chapter 6, this is used by our brethren uh, as an example of how to appoint deacons. I don't know if we really understand this rightly or not. Nevertheless, the procedure that's used is a good procedure. It's a procedure that was given by the Lord, and I think it's a procedure worthy of imitation. And that's why we follow this particular procedure. He says, now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, the church was growing in leaps and bounds. Sometimes, at one time, 5,000 men, not counting the number of women that were baptized into Christ. That's how the church was growing. Man, it was growing fast. It was multiplying. And you got 12 apostles. And you got the church. That's a whole lot to take care of. Well, there arose a complaint. Most of the time, when you read about a complaint in the New Testament scriptures, it has to do with being a sinful thing. This could have been a sinful thing. I don't know. I, personally, I don't feel like it was. Uh, I think the, uh, the Greek-speaking 
Jews uh, felt like they were being discriminated against, and they took the issue to the apostles, okay? They, I don't think they just sat around and murmured about it. I think when they felt like their, their women were being shortchanged, I think they went to the apostles and, and took their complaints straight to the head of the stream. It was against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now, the weird thing is they're all Hebrews, but there's a difference. The Hebrew is a person who's a, a true Jew. Paul spoke about himself being a true Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he would say. Well, these are known as Hebrews in the New Testament. Then there are the Hellenists. The Hellenist is a person who is not a full-blooded Hebrew, but he's a Christian, or she's a Christian, okay? They made a distinction between the two. That was the culture of the time. In the church, this was unacceptable. But I don't know that this, this problem that was created, I don't know if it was deliberate or if it was simple, simply an oversight. The text doesn't tell us. But there, there, there was a problem that had arisen, and it's going to have to be dealt with, or the church is going to have a split before it even begins. It was their widows being neglected in the daily distribution. The widows were those who couldn't provide for themselves. So the church provided for them. And on a daily basis, there were brethren who went from widow to widow. It may have been the apostles for all I know. They went from widow to widow, making sure their needs were met. They had food, they had clothing, whatever. They had no social security. They had nothing. Uh, except their children, and if they were Christian, chances were pretty good, their children were going to support them. They had nothing but God. And that was enough, because the church took care of them, and they distributed their food, their clothing, their necessities, on a daily basis, making sure these women were safe and taken care of. Well, the Hellenists, believing because they are Greek-speaking Christians, Jews, but Christian, uh, they felt like perhaps it was done on purpose. And the apostles were going to have to solve this problem. And this is where we get the appointment, how to appoint someone to a, a position such as a, a deacon. The twelve summoned the multitude, the church, multitude of the disciples, the whole church came together. They, they didn't hide anything. Everything was transparent. It was out in the open. They called the mother together, and the apostles said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Uh, to serve tables would be the daily distribution of food. It, it's not desirable that we would do this any longer. It was just too big, too much that we should leave the word of God. That had to do with their teaching, preaching, prayer, whatever, uh, their work as uh, apostles. It's not desirable that we give up time from our teaching to wait on tables. There must be another solution. Therefore, he said, brethren, seek out from among you, out of the congregation, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. So the, the number seven, I, I don't think it has any significance. Uh, the number seven in Scripture, when it's used figuratively, 
it's, it's, it symbolizes perfection, that which is complete, perfect. Jesus Christ is number seven. Man is number six. Uh, that's uh, the significance of the number when it's used in that sense. I think the number seven is chosen here because the apostles believed that seven men were going to be able to carry out the work that needed to be done. Uh, I'm in a minority on this. If you read a lot of biblical scholars, uh, they don't hold this same uh, position that I do, but I don't think there's significance. If it took nine, there would have been nine. Choose nine men uh, of good reputation. And of course, they had to be full of the Holy Spirit. They would have, uh, in this case, it could have been miraculous gifts. Is, was that a requirement? I don't know. Uh, later on, we'll read about Stephen and Philip, and both of them had miraculous gifts. They may have already had miraculous gifts there in Jerusalem before they were appointed deacons. They, they, they may have acquired those gifts later when they started preaching the gospel. Everywhere, they evangelized. They may have been given the gifts at that time. I do not know. But I think the real point is that they are supposed to be, the Spirit of God is supposed to be filling their souls, living within them, driving them, pointing them, directing them. And you could see it by the way these men walked, by the way they lived, by the way they behaved. And they were to be full of wisdom. <clears throat> knowledge is something we acquire through much labor. We work to acquire knowledge. You read and you read and you read, you study, you study, you study, and you acquire facts in your mind. Wisdom, on the other hand, comes only from God. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Those, those who possess wisdom are those who have acquired knowledge and prayed to God for divine wisdom. And they receive wisdom. It was true then, it's true today. God can still lead us in a way to cultivate wisdom within us. It's not a direct operation of the Holy Spirit. It's a providential operation of God. So we pray for wisdom. Every day we pray for wisdom. <clears throat> whom we, the apostles, whom we may appoint over this business. The apostles are the we, and the business is ministering to widows. There was one job they needed done. Oh, there were probably other jobs, but they were being taken care of at the moment. But there was one job that was falling short of completion. So these men were selected as servants to serve widows, whether Hebrew or Hellenist. It didn't make any difference. They were Christians, and that's all that mattered. So they had a specific work that they did. Some are good at one thing, some are good at another. It's necessary to apply the man to the work and to get the job done. So far, we've been very, very fortunate uh, to get our work done. But he said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. That's the apostles. Let these seven men take care of the widows while we go about doing what the Lord 
appointed us to do in the first place. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Those are the two most popular to us because we'll read about them later on in the book of Acts. Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, who is a proselyte from Antioch. These were the seven men that the people chose. And I've shrunk verse 5 so I can get verse 6 on there. These men, these seven men, they, the multitude, they, the multitude, sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed, most likely the whole multitude prayed, they, the apostles, laid hands on them, and they were given either gifts or wisdom in order to complete their work. At that time, they had the ability to impart gifts. More than likely, the laying on of hands had something to do with that. Things to remember, and this is uh, important as we go forward. Number one, the need was identified. Widows were being neglected. Number two, the saints were to choose qualified men who met God's qualifications. Number three, the seven were set before the apostles. These seven, in other words, these seven we bring to you believing they to be qualified for this work that you want them to do. The, the fourth, the apostles considered the men that were chosen. And then fifth, the apostles appointed the men that they deemed qualified for the work at hand. They might have, uh, they might have had some that weren't qualified that they wouldn't be able to appoint. It doesn't appear to have happened here but they would ultimately have to make a decision as to which of the seven, if not all, which it seems it was, uh, are qualified, meet the qualifications given by God. And they did. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, we're told of uh, three great things that happened because of this very wise decision. Number one, the word of God spread, going out everywhere. Number two, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, which it did. It wasn't too many years when most of Jerusalem were Christians. They were in the majority now, not the minority. They started out very small and persecuted. Finally, they would become the majority of the population, at least, in Jerusalem. And then finally, even a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. This really would have had to go the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders, and chief priests. This is one of the reasons, no doubt, a great persecution came on the church at Jerusalem, and the brethren were scattered everywhere, preaching and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition to elders and deacons, real quickly, churches of Christ in the first century had teachers, preachers, and evangelists. You notice I didn't call the men in Acts chapter 6 deacons. I don't think they were. I think they were servants that served in a special capacity. And the qualifications of a deacon, if you read in 1 Timothy 3, are much different than the qualifications of the men selected in Acts chapter 6. They're usually referred to as deacons. They might have been deacons. I just don't know that they were. And that's why I refrain from calling them such. But in addition to the elders and deacons, we have teachers, preachers, and evangelists. There were females, the women, they taught to other women, and they taught the children. 
in various Bible classes. They had Bible classes like we do today. Churches of Christ in the New Testament. The church is very simple. It's very, very simple. The organization of it, the government of it is very, very simple. The simple structure of Christ's church, according to the New Testament, consisted of Jesus Christ as head of the church. Under him, there are elders whose responsibility is to shepherd the flock. Next, there are deacons who minister to the congregation. Thirdly, there are preachers and teachers who proclaim the gospel. Fourth, there are all other members of the local congregation who work and worship under the oversight of the church. Simple. Very simple. New Testament Christianity is very simple. There's no hierarchy. There's no bureaucracy. There's no structure like uh, the Roman government or the Roman Catholic Church. It's nothing, nothing at all like that. Jesus governs his church, and everybody in there has a place, and everybody in there is accountable to him. Simple. It's all simple. And sometimes that is undesirable. Undesirable. Especially to those who want to be a somebody. But there's no room for those somebodies in the church of our Lord. I haven't talked much about the gospel today. Uh, I think most of us probably are very aware of it. We are to uh, believe that Jesus is Christ, God's anointed, who came into the world to save the world from itself. We are to repent, resolve to stop sinning. We are to confess Jesus as Christ, the Son of God. And then we are to be immersed in water, to be forgiven of our sins, raised from the water a new creature, to walk in a new life in a new light, for as long as we live in this body, we'll never be perfect. Never. But we can always try. If you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to become one. If you are a Christian and something's not right, resolve to begin all over again. Start fresh. Repent of the sin that may be plaguing you, holding you back, robbing you of your hope, and causing you to dread. Ask God to forgive you. If you want, we'll pray with you. But today is the day, and it's a good day, to make life right with God.